Congregation, let us turn in the Word of God this morning to Acts chapter 20, and we'll begin reading at verse 17. You know that the Apostle Paul ministered in the church at Ephesus, and in the first verse of our reading, we read that he called the elders to Miletus from Ephesus. The Lord, remember, had blessed the preaching of the Apostle in Ephesus, so much so that the city was turned upside down. People began to turn away from idols, and they began to serve the living God, and this, of course, made uh, the idol makers, the silver makers, very angry because suddenly their wealth um, was um, in making these idols of the goddess Diana had come to an end, and therefore they stirred up a riot. Maybe you remember the story that, so two hours they cried in the marketplace, great is Diana of the Ephesians, and um, Paul left Ephesus in that uh, context. But in chapter 20, he's on his way back to Jerusalem uh, so that he might arrive for the Feast of Pentecost. And the ship on which the apostle was traveling uh, stopped in Miletus for several days, probably to load or unload cargo. And since this was about 40 miles from Ephesus, he took this opportunity to summon the elders there to meet him for this farewell. And on this occasion, he gives this speech to them speaking to them of their work. And so let us read from Acts 20, uh, from verse 17, and our text will be verse 28, but let us read from verse 17. From Miletus, he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and, and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, what happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. 
I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. So far the reading of God's holy, infallible word. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, goodbyes to our loved ones are always difficult. But final goodbyes are particularly difficult. Maybe some of you have had that before where you have visited an elderly family member on their deathbed and you made final goodbyes knowing that they were soon going to depart and you would see their face no more. And the Apostle Paul was facing such a goodbye in our text, wasn't he? At this time, he was on his way to Jerusalem after his third and, as we know, final missionary journey. And on his way to Jerusalem, the ship on which he was traveling had to stop at Miletus, and Paul calls for the Ephesian elders to come and meet with him there. He was very much aware that he was facing a very difficult time. And he told them that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city that chains and tribulations awaited him. And so Paul was very much aware that he was likely to be imprisoned because of his preaching of the gospel. He was under no illusion, and he knew that the course of his Christian service was coming to an end. And the Jews and the Gentiles were going to oppose him, and soon he was going to lose his freedom and eventually his life for the sake of the gospel. And you might think to yourself, well, Paul, if you know that was going to happen to you in Jerusalem, why are you continuing on your way there? Why would you put yourself in such danger? And Paul answers this question in verse 22 when he says that he was bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And Paul is saying then that it was his duty under God to go to Jerusalem. He was compelled by the Spirit of God to go there and to seek to minister there. He was a true servant of the Lord who he says his life was, was, was not his own. He dared not resist the Holy Spirit, even though he knew it was going to lead him into the hands of his enemies. And so after Paul told them what awaited him in uh, Jerusalem, they fell on his neck. They kissed him because he told them that he, they would see his face no more. And so the words of, of this section in Acts chapter 20 are among the final words that he spoke to the Ephesian elders, meaning that they are very serious words, aren't they? When a minister uh, gives his farewell service, he's leaving words that the congregation can consider and contemplate, but when he gives words to his elders as he leaves them, he most certainly gives words which are ones which encourage them and point them to some of the key essential parts of the gospel. And so this is the last time that he would be addressing them and it's his farewell sermon to them. And these are, in that sense, these are sober words. And they consist of a challenge and an encouragement to the elders. Now, the fact that Paul was addressing the Ephesian elders doesn't mean uh, that he, he, these verses don't apply to all of us in some way. 
The same principles that Paul is speaking of to the elders here most certainly apply to other office bearers as well, but also to the congregation as a whole. Because the qualities that are commendable in the office bearers' lives are commendable in the life of every Christian, aren't they? Sometimes we read those qualifications, for instance, in Timothy and Titus, and, and we think, well, that's for the elders or that's for the deacons. But in reality, all the Apostle Paul is highlighting both there and in our text are how we should live our Christian life as mature Christians in all godliness and holiness. And so these words are applicable to us all. But we will consider primarily verse 28, where we read, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And we'll consider a gospel charge uh, to us, to office bearers in particular. We'll look at the priority of this work. We'll look at the duties of this work. And we'll look at the encouragements uh, for this work. Well, what does Paul say is to be our priority? He says, take heed to yourselves. And this means that an office bearer in particular is to take heed to his own spiritual life. And it highlights that the relationship that we have with the Lord is the most important in our life, isn't it? And it's also most important in the life of the office bearer. Their relationship to the Lord is essential if they're going to be effective ministers or elders or deacons. And we might ask ourselves all personally, are we doing so? Are we taking heed to ourselves? Are we faithfully using all the means of grace that God gives to us so that we might progress in the Christian life, never being satisfied and never having a mentality that we have arrived, but always pursuing and, and continually running the race of the Christian life so that we might finish it with joy? What temptations are you facing today and how are you dealing with them? Because how does your relationship to the Lord affect the way that you live? These are questions. They are applicable to all of us, but particularly to office bearers. Now, we understand the importance of taking heed to ourselves, also as office bearers, taking heed to our own spiritual condition, because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26 and 27, he says, lest in leading and instructing others, you yourselves would become a castaway. Those are quite serious words, isn't it? If the Apostle Paul mentions these things and has this concern, he's the one who would, remember, received a special call to be an apostle. Uh, if he concerned himself with the possibility that he could be a castaway, then we most certainly should as well. He was one who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to preach and to write much of the New Testament. And he considered, concerned himself with the possibility that having taught others that he might be a castaway. And if one of the disciples, one of the, one of the twelve, would, could rise up and betray the Lord Jesus Christ, how much more we should be on our guard against any temptations. And if one of the disciples, one of the inner circles of Jesus' disciples, one of his closest friends could deny his Lord and Savior at a most critical time in Christ's life, then how much more we should take heed to ourselves. And so this exhortation to take heed to ourselves is a very important principle, isn't it? But particularly for leadership. 
for elders or for deacons or for pastors. You know, recently, I, at my doctor's advice, I've been going to the gym again. And um, you can hire a trainer there. I haven't done that, but you can hire trainers at the gym. But if you look for a trainer at the gym, what kind of individual would you look for? Would you look for one who had a big beer belly, was overweight, and who, who couldn't even run for five minutes on the treadmill? No, you would expect him to be your, the, a model as far as, as far as encouraging you, wouldn't you? You would look at their physical condition, and you would look at their abilities, and you would resolve, I want to be like that. I want to be like him. I want to be like her. And therefore, this is also important in the leadership of the church, to take, that we would take heed for ourselves. And we take heed for ourselves because we recognize that this is necessary for our own spiritual life, but it's also an important quality for elders and deacons, that we would be able to say, as office bearers, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, sometimes as parents, we say to our children, well, just do as I say, not as I do. But that's actually the height of hypocrisy, isn't it? We should be able to say to our children as, as fathers, do as I do. And do as I say, of course, but do as I do. And when there's inconsistencies, we, we recognize it and we repent of it and we acknowledge it to our children. And then we encourage them further, say, let us together do well. Let us follow after Christ. Well, there's, this is true in, in, in relationship to the church as well, isn't it? We must be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. We do this, don't we, in our homes, and we should do this in the church as well. Now, many of you are familiar with the instructions that a stewardess gives to you at the beginning of her flight. A number of delegates flew back from Alberta yesterday after some delays, but the stewardess stands in the front, and I must admit that I'm not always listening, and I, don't, I was thinking as we were flying yesterday, I, I don't even remember them doing it. Not so much attention I was being paid, but paid to it. But anyway, I, I, know that, I know what they tell us. I know it quite well because I've heard it hundreds of times. And they always tell us that, and part of the instructions is, is that they have this oxygen mask that will come down in, in, in the event of a decompression of the airline. And, and they always say, what do they say when they, when, they, when, that, when they give that instruction? They say, what do they say? It says, first ensure that your mask is on and then help those who are under your care. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? You think if you have young children as a mother, your instinct would be to do what? Would be to put the mask on your children and make sure that they're breathing properly and then put your own mask on. But they tell you, no, make sure that your mask is on first and then put the mask on your children. And they do that for a very important reason because they want you to be able to help your children and if you hesitate in putting the mask on your children, it's possible that you are overcome with the lack of oxygen and you are no, no longer able to function. And as a result, not only you will, 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 will suffer, but your children will suffer as well. And so this is the, the principle here. And it's true in the church too, when a man in leadership, whether that's a pastor or elder or deacon, when, when they fall, it has terrible consequences for the congregation, for the community, and it brings shame to the gospel. 
How often hasn't the name of Christ been slandered because of the failure of some Christian leaders? What ridicule has been brought upon the gospel because of some leader in the Christian community who commits some some moral sin? He brings shame to the name of Christ in a way which is greater than if just a regular member of the congregation would fall into the same sin. And therefore, we need to take heed to ourselves so that we might not only confess the name of Christ, but that we would be Christ-like in the way that we live. And we must ask ourselves a question, what kind of message am I, are you sending by your life? What kind of message are you conveying by the way that you live? Is it consistent with the Word of God? Can others see Christ in you? And families and children, do people notice a, a difference when you go out to a restaurant? A while ago, I was, I was out with a Christian family, out for dinner with my wife with a family, and they had a number of children. I think they have five children. And we were having dinner, and we finished having the dinner, and the waitress was there, and we were paying the bill, and, and she gave a lovely compliment She says, I have never seen children behave like that. Never seen it. And that's an encouragement to the parents, isn't it? That their children were acting in a proper manner, in a public environment. And knowing, when they know that you're a Christian, that brings glory to the name of the Lord, doesn't it, children? And so we we try to make sure that when you go out for dinner, or when you're in a public place, children especially, that you make sure that you convey the right impression upon others. That lives in your heart, of course, but make sure that you show that you are one who looks to Jesus as the only way of salvation, that you bring no shame by your behavior on the name of the Lord Jesus. So that's something to think about. And we must ask ourselves as as adults and as children, what could I or what should I change as a Christian man, a Christian woman, or a Christian boy or a Christian girl to be more consistent in showing the proper picture of Christ to others around us. And then as office bearers, we should, of course, ask this question in a much more serious way, shouldn't we? And we should take heed to ourselves, training ourselves in godliness, dealing with sin aggressively and and systematically, and taking heed to ourselves so that we bring no shame to the name of our Savior. But that leads us to our second point the duties of this work. Office bearers are told to to feed the flock. Feed the flock of God. And the elder then, and also the minister and the deacon too, we have an obligation towards the whole flock of God, don't we? And when Paul says feed the flock, there's an image there, isn't there? There's an image of what David speaks of in Psalm 23. An image of a shepherd who who cares for every individual member of the flock. He loves the sheep. He goes before the sheep. He he leads them beside the still waters. He he brings them into green pastures. He protects them from, from the enemies. And so elders are called to feed all the flock. Not just the healthy ones, but also the sick. Not just the strong ones, but also the weak. Not just the vocal ones, but also the quiet ones. Not just the faithful ones, but also the wayward ones. Not just the old ewes, but also the young little lambs. 
And that's an overwhelming tax to us, isn't it? We're to take care of the whole flock, the young people, the children, the elderly, the wayward, those neglecting the means of grace, those who, who backslide and those who are inconsistent in attendance at worship services. You know, when, there's, when, there's no, when, the, when the, sh- the lamb doesn't come to eat, the shepherd goes and finds out where he is. And that's what we are called to do. And we're called to minister the gospel to all those who are backslidden, those who are living selfish lives, those who are caught up in addictions of all sorts of, sorts of ways, those whose marriage is broken, those who are hurt, those who are bitter, those who are angry, those who are suffering, those who are burdened. We are to take heed to the flock, the, all the flock of God. You know, sheep, when I was, I used to be a farmer, maybe some of you don't know that, but And I never had any sheep, but my father lived a ways away, and they had a number of sheep. And I, to be honest, I never really cared for the animal because they are relatively stubborn, and they are hard to direct. They tend to wander away. They seem so foolish. And the Lord Jesus uses this image of us, doesn't he? Not just the congregation, but of all of us. And, and Paul uses this image of the shepherd. And he says, we are office bearers in the church. And we talked about that the other day at the office bearer conference that we had in, in Alberta, that office bearers are the picture of Christ. The minister is in the prophetic office, the elder in the kingly office, and the deacon in the priestly office. And together they picture the Lord Jesus Christ to the flock, the great shepherd. And they're called not only to feed the flock, but they're called to protect the flock. And he, Paul tells the Ephesian elders that grievous wolves were coming to destroy the flock. He says, I know this is going to happen. And then he says that these wolves will even come up from among your own selves. And if this is true in the Ephesian church, how much more it is today? Paul was the one who organized that church. He's the one who led that church for some three years And it's a sobering thought for these Ephesian elders to hear that from among themselves would arise some who would seek to undermine the gospel. But if that's true in the Ephesian church, it most certainly is true of us as well. We need to be on our guard against the grievous wolves that rise up among us to seek to lead the flock of God astray. That doesn't always happen by false teaching or by heresy. The flock can be led astray even by those who live among us, who live in sin and temptation, unrepentantly so. And if the elders and and the consistory do not respond to that type of behavior, it leads the flock of God astray. You see, when one, I always remember this, when one of the, the, the sheep was able to get out of the pasture, I don't know if you've ever seen sheep, but they generally run together, don't they? They run together as a flock. And so one will get out, and the others will just follow after them. And they'll go in the same direction. That could be running off a cliff, and they they seemingly will all just follow and just go. Well, that's the impression that's given here, that if we allow one to continue to live in sin, unrestrained and unhindered by the shepherd. If the shepherd does not intervene when the one goes astray, it most certainly will lead to others going in the same direction. And so we have a calling to protect the flock of God. And we are called to be discerning 
in regards to our doctrine, yes, we must point out false teaching, the heresies and the things that undermine the gospel, but we also must use the keys of the kingdom when someone lives in sin and rebellion against the Lord. And congregation, you may look to your elders as your protectors. You must look to them as those who have your best interest in, at heart. They, they, they love to help you and to, to serve you and to instruct you. And if, so if you have questions, you know, so often it happens that one of the, 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 the sheep go astray and they, they never speak to their elder or to their pastor about it. They simply wander away. And sometimes they go to another church and, and then somebody says, well, why, why are they attending another church? And you, you hear about it, but, but they had some questions about certain doctrines or certain things in the church. But rather than coming to the elders and to the pastor and, and asking him about them and saying, can you explain this to me? Can you teach me how this is something which flows from the scriptures? They simply ignore those office bears that God has given to them and they simply go astray. But that, of course, is not the way we should conduct ourselves. We should look at them honorably, and we should consider them as gifts from God himself to help us as a congregation to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And, and they love it when you come to them with questions, I can guarantee it. And they would love to engage you on any topic you want. They might not always have all the answers right away, but they most certainly would love to have a discussion with you about any topic. I know your pastor would. Any topic you have. He would love it if you would come and say, can you help me with this? I'm struggling with it. Can you give me some instruction on, on how I should respond to this? And, and they will help you. I know that they will. And so this calling to protect the flock implies that we, as a congregation, we look to the shepherd. We look to the shepherd and that's ultimately our Lord Jesus Christ, but he is pictured in the congregation, in your pastor, in your elders, and in your deacons. And so go to them and ask of them to help you in understanding and in growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. But then lastly, we come, and perhaps it's good that we end on these in this way because it's an encouragement to us. We look at the encouragements for this work, and first he reminds us the office bearers in particular, that we shepherd the church of God. Now, that's a remarkable statement. The word church, of course, means called out of the world. And so being in, in the work of the office is, is, is not like leading some other organization, not like being the president of, of the Rotary Club. I don't know if they have Rotary Clubs here. They have those in, in Ontario anyway. It's a, 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 a organization in the community that does good work in the community, and there's other organizations like that. But it's not like leading such an organization, because it's leading the church of God. And in that sense, it is the most honorable work that a man can do on earth, isn't it? Our involvement in any other Christian organization is not as important and not as excellent as the work of the office. Because the office bearers, you might say, are stewards of the family of God, of the church of God. The church has been called out of the world. And the Lord is the one who calls them out of the world by the effectual call of the gospel. And he calls sinners to repent of their sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he leaves these under the oversight and care of the office bearers. They are stewards of God's most precious 
possession, aren't they? Every member of the church is precious to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why he reminds us that the flock has been purchased by the blood. The blood. And this has the idea of ownership, doesn't it? The church does not belong to Paul. The church does not belong to the elders. It doesn't belong to the, to the minister. But it belongs to the Lord who has purchased her by his own blood. And therefore we should take care of the, the flock, not as, as our flock, but as one which belongs to Christ himself, as the flock of God. You see, the Lord redeems us through the blood of his only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gave which was most precious in order to purchase that which was most precious to him. Now, it's clear that Paul wants the elders actually to be, be shocked by this. He's saying if the, if the Almighty God, sinless and free and above all things, was willing to send His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to shed His blood for sinful, messed up, unworthy people, then shepherds must be willing to pour out their blood and sweat and tears in season and out of season for the flock of God. That's a pretty strong initiative, isn't it? The Lord Jesus, we read in Ephesians 5, loved the church and gave himself for her. And so an elder is one who loves the church and gives himself for her. And will do so through his whole life. You know, we have to look at the church then as something very, very precious. Very precious. It should be most precious to us. Can you think of anything more precious in the world? How, how should we speak about the church? Many of you are married or your mom and dad are married. And the Bible speaks about the husband who is called to love as Christ loved the church, isn't he? And so he's called to protect his wife. He's called to defend his wife. And none of us as husbands would allow someone to speak mockingly or scoffingly of our wives, would we? We would quickly rise to her defense. How dare you speak about my wife like that? How dare you speak about her like that? And we would become upset and angry. Well, I remember once being on a visit in a home and someone was upset with Dickens history because they had been placed under discipline for living in sin. And uh, this individual spoke very negatively of the church and very mockingly of the office bearers. And along with me was an elderly man who was an elder for many years in the church. He has since gone to be with the Lord. And I remember him saying to this lady with tears in his eyes, he says, how dare you speak of the church of my Lord Jesus Christ in this way, which he has purchased with his own blood. How dare you speak of the church like this? You see, shouldn't we love the church? And the fact that the church has been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ makes us realize that God will not spare anything for his people. He will preserve her, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. And then thirdly, he reminds us 
that as office bearers we've been appointed by the Holy Spirit. This means that elders are not appointed by men. Well, well God calls men uh, to the office through uh, the congregation. In the end, they are called of God, and they are appointed by God himself. They are appointed by the Holy Spirit. And so ultimately, the work that the, that the office bearers do is a spiritual work for which he is accountable to God. And the, you see, he must answer to the Lord, not to men, not to the congregation, but he, he, he's called to answer to the Lord. And this should make us more careful in how we lead the congregation we take directives from the Spirit of God through His Word. And so, congregation, do you honor the men of your consistory as appointed by the Holy Spirit? You see, when they, they phone you and ask to have a visit with you, young people, I know this is especially challenging sometime in that context, when, when your elder phones you and says, we'd like to have a visit with you, we'd like to have a coffee with you, some things we'd like to talk about, or we want to do a regular home visit with you, and you say, well, I don't really have time. I don't really have time. Or, or I've got more important things to do. Maybe, maybe in a few weeks or maybe in a month. Or, or you outright deny them that privilege. You say, no, I don't want to meet. You realize that you have just denied? Denied the office bearers appointed by the Lord to represent Christ to you. Would you say the same to the Lord Jesus? Now, the Lord Jesus has since gone to heaven, hasn't he? But he's at no times absent from us, and he's present in the church, also in the ministry of the word and, and in, the, in, the, in the function of the office bearers. And so when they call you and they want to visit with you, always be quick and willing to comply with such a request. Always say, I'd love to meet with you. I'd be glad to meet. I want to meet and talk about the things of God. And so honor your office bearers and respond to them when they make such requests. Well, we come to the end of our text. But most certainly it reminds us that this task, which is the, the, the task of the office bearers, is really beyond us, isn't it? But there's great encouragements here because he's the one who calls and he's also the one who equips for that office. And so we have that confidence, don't we? That the Lord is the one who provides all that's necessary for the church, for the church of the Lord Jesus. And he does so in giving gifts to us and the men that he's given to you to help lead you in the way of truth and to show to you the Lord Jesus and to lead you in the green pastures of his word. Amen. Let us pray.